Hello and welcome to the Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rhodes. And on today's episode, eight questions that every human being wants to know the answer to, the heart of the new wineskin for the church in the coming years, and what does it look like to lead a church without control or fear? Gerald D.A. Murphy is a loving husband to his wife, Lauren, and father to their four children. They are currently planting a church in Columbus, Ohio, Garden City Church, with a heart and passion for the gospel of the kingdom to transform cities and nations. Gerald and his family live to see God glorified and his people equipped. Now, Gerald's been a friend of mine for uh, quite a, quite a few years now, um, and he's he's been one of those people that has had a, an impact on me behind the scenes. Um, more so than the most, he's, he's one of a, a handful of people that has been a, a real brother to me and also somebody that, um, could be a real peer and we could bounce ideas off of each other and dream about what God has in store. I've had the privilege of s- serving alongside him in, in, uh, many different ministry contexts and uh, also getting to be uh, part of his, his staff for his ministry school and get to teach at, his, at the school that he started. Um, and since I left Columbus, he's now uh, been on this journey with this church, and a lot of the things we would dream about, he is now doing. And so I, want, I wanted to have him on. I've been fighting to have him on for a while. Our schedules would not line up. Uh, but I am excited to finally have him on because you need to hear what he's doing. He, he is... He is doing something that most uh, leaders have not uh, have not been brave enough to do in some ways, and not that every leader needs to do it exactly this way. And uh, there's a lot that are doing the right thing, so I'm not saying that. But there's a lot of people that have felt uh, God shifting us away from some of the ways that we're we're currently doing church in America, and Gerald has been willing to step out and try them. So I think you're going to love this conversation and. Uh, and it's, it's going to be good. So uh, I wanted to uh, just share a quick update real quick. Um, I have been looking over some of the things going on with this podcast, and I am beyond blown away. Um, you guys have helped expand this this podcast, and the, the listenership is incredible. The things God's doing is incredible. I just want to say thank you. I just want to give a heartfelt Thank you. I've been I've been reviewing what I did in 2021 with this podcast and and what happened with our ministry and just some of the things um, God's done and I'm just I'm so thankful for you guys. So thank you, thank you for your prayers, thank you for your support, thank you for those who have sowed financially. Um, it, it means so much. And and you, the testimonies I hear from this podcast and the way people have been stirred, um, you have been a part of that. So thank you. If, if this podcast uh, has, has impacted you, if our ministry has impacted you, would you consider uh, jumping in to support us one time? Uh, you can do a one-time dono- donation or uh, you can schedule a, uh, a, a recurring donation of some sort. That helps us keep going. That helps us grow this. There's lots of amazing things coming up, um, which I'm excited for you guys to hear about. So uh, you can do that by going to firemovement.com support. And there you can pick a one-time or monthly gift. On, on our website, you can also share with us if you have a testimony, something God's done, or even if there's something I can be praying for you for. Um, I've, 
I'd love to pray for you, for you guys. I'd love to hear what's going on. I'd love to hear even where you're listening from because our analytics are showing that we're up to 36 nations, and that's incredible. And I'd love to hear from some of the people from other nations and connect and hear what God's doing where you're at. So you can do that, firemovement.com slash support. Well, let's go ahead and jump into our conversation with Gerald after a quick sponsor segment. Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet. Religion is not okay with Jesus the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one. He doesn't just have good teachings. He is the, the breaker of bondage. He will transform you. But you got to go after knowing him more. He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth your time. He's worth your life. And there's, there's nothing, this, this city, this nation, the nations of the world are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people. They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? If the king of the universe and all of his goodness, all of his backing, if all of heaven is for you, is standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? We could, we could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly and you don't let anything else stop you, and if you'll, if you'll align yourself with who you are as a son or daughter of God, there is nothing that can stop you. This is the Fire Podcast. Well, I'm here with my co-host, Vince Cantergarage. Yo, yo, yo. Glad to have you back on. It's been a little while. It's been a long while, man. <laughs> it has. It has. Everyone thinks we're not friends anymore. Oh. <laughs> I mean, we did We did uh, go on a road trip for two months, so. Yeah. Well, there's there's lots of rumors, so we're uh, we're squashing some of the rumors right now. <laughs> the the, uh, the blogs and stuff, the, the forums, they're blowing up. Uh, <laughs> and, all y'all uh, trolls listen up <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh we have one of my my good friends and uh a friend we've been friends for a while um gerald murphy is on the show today welcome good to be here it's good to be here yeah. thank you yeah i'm glad this finally worked out um it's been a little while we've been i don't know when i first approached you about this but it's been uh <laughs> it's been a journey to get here <laughs> Well, if there's one thing I know about you, you are persistent. Uh, <laughs> that that is true. I, I did do door to door sales, so uh, <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, uh, I always like to kind of start out with like how uh, how I know my guest if I actually have a history with them at all. So, uh, how do we know each other? You know, I was trying to tell somebody that the other day, and. <laughs> It was it was foggy to think back to like when I very very first met you because I knew you before I met you. You know, we were young adult pastors uh, around the same time mm-hmm. and I know as I was getting started out, I had no clue what I was doing and I know at the time, you know, at that point was 10 years ago, young adult ministry was still kind of new. You know, it's not like it was a playbook for like youth ministry and kids ministry <laughs> and other things. Yeah. And so I heard about this thing called Fire Young Adults, 
and uh, it was in a basement. I'm like, well, that sounds, that sounds cool. So I don't know if I even was like invited officially. I think I just found <laughs> out where it was happening and showed up by myself and you were doing your thing. And uh, yeah, I mean, so that was in 2013, yeah. uh, 2012, something like that. Yeah, I was, I was married at that point. So it was 2013, probably later in 2013. I think it was probably around November or so. I think that's when things really started happening. And actually, I, it's funny you bring that up because like, I literally told somebody about that last week, I think. Um, wow. And about how you came and you sat, you sat there. I can like, picture even where you were at in the room. And, uh, and you, you were sitting there and you were just observing the, what was happening. And I thought, like, oh my gosh, he's gonna think we're nuts because that's that's the night that um, that's the night. I don't know if you remember this, but like, I there was like a, a in the center of the room, I, it was hot, and I could feel like a, the presence of joy, and I remember calling it like a glory puddle or a joy puddle, mm-hmm. and I remember people would walk into it and just fall laughing. Yeah. And uh, we were just in this like weird mystical thing that was happening. <laughs> and and you just sat there and watched. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> you're never going to talk to me again. And then, like, I remember at the end, you're like, wow, you've I forget how you said it. But you basically said, like, these young adults are really, like, free from the fear of man. And yeah. And like, you've just always been so honoring, even in things like that, that just look absolutely crazy. <laughs> Um, let me let me interject here. So, Gerald, where were you? Uh, so, you said you were a youth pastor, young adult pastor, young adult pastor, yeah, young adult pastor. So, when you saw all that going on, like, just walk walk me through. Like, what were you thinking? How were you thinking about? Like, were you thinking about bringing that home? Were, were you thinking about like going after this? Like, had you had experiences like that before? Yeah, I mean, so my background. Um, it's pretty interesting. Grew up in a black Baptist church um, and, you know, within a lot of African-American churches, regardless of denomination, there is a lot of, you know, outward expression, a lot of uh, high praise, just a lot of, sure. you know, um, engagement with, with emotion. Uh, but our particular church, the pastor began to teach on the spiritual gifts, began to introduce the church to, you know, relationship with Holy Spirit, uh, speaking in tongues, casting out demons. So I was like 11 years old when okay. that all started breaking into the church. Oh, wow. And um, we started having revival nights, and, you know, I'm literally watching people get delivered. Um, I was filled with the Holy Spirit, spoken tongues at, at 11. And then really abruptly, you know, there was enough people in the church and enough people in leadership that weren't down with all that, that uh, the church ended up splitting. Okay. And the pastor, you know, was removed. And so that was, I was 12. And I didn't really connect with uh, the local church um, in any, you know, uh, consistent way for the next eight years of my life, which then also led to obviously a lack of accountability, a lack of discipleship. So, you know, things got really gray as far as my life choices. I always had, you know, an affection and appreciation for Jesus, but he definitely wasn't Lord. Mm -hmm. And I was no longer truly, you know, um, living for him. And so all of that to say, by the time things, you know, um, turned around for me, I was 20. And that was after just a friend who I played football with, you know, smoked drugs with in high school comes into the gym I was working at. And, you know, I asked him to drink and smoke and hang out like we used to. And he says, I don't do that anymore. I follow Jesus. And I'm like, 
I like Jesus too. What's that have to do with getting high? And <laughs> you know, and he just kind of broke it down for me, just what he encountered and his testimony. And I just had never heard anybody talk about Jesus the way that I heard him talk about Jesus. And I wow. knew he had encountered something that I hadn't yet, or at least that I forgot about. And all that shifted everything. And so that was July 27th of 2009. And, you know, we just began to devour the word and you couldn't get us, you know, out of, out of, you know, just each other's um, houses at that time, just praying together, uh, worshiping together, you know, evangelizing on high street, which is near like Ohio State's campus together. And so that was kind of my um, exposure up to that point. With that said, I'll never forget being in that basement and seeing people encounter the Holy Spirit in a way where it wasn't a man leading, it was the Holy Spirit leading. Mm -hmm. And if I think about, you know, what I so value about just true moves of God that happen in corporate spaces, I learned what that looked like by going Mm. to fire. I learned what that looked like by being in not just the basement, but the other meetings that would happen, um, the coffee shops that, you know, fire would host. And just that Holy Spirit is a real person. Yeah. I knew the Holy Spirit, you know, was was powerful. I knew the Holy Spirit gave gifts to men, but I didn't understand how personable and how tangible his leadership is, his friendship yes. is, wow. until I experienced what I experienced in that basement and um, so that's that's really what marked me, and I knew I had to come back. Mm, wow, wow. So how did you approach Ryan then? I just went up to him at the end and just, you know, introduced myself, and that was probably something else that really was defining about that night and just even, you know, the subsequent um, opportunities in those earlier years that I got to hang out with, with, with Ryan. Ryan, if I... If I think about it, you're actually a year younger than me, right? I'm 30. I'm, okay, I'm 32, so that's that's right. But I remember like talking to him that night, and it was like, I guess the way I would say it today, I wouldn't have said it this way back then. In the spirit, I just knew that there was there was a depth that he had that was something I wouldn't have expected from somebody my age, which at the time, nine, ten years ago, we were in our early 20s. Mm-hmm. And there was almost this this understanding that like I knew I needed to learn from from him, and so I just introduced myself and and uh, probably just thanked him for for the night and just was already thinking about how do i how do I get back in this space again and how do I make sure I can you know learn from what what's being cultivated here and uh that's kind of where our friendship began wow, and we actually like. I appreciate all that, by the way. It's incredible. I've Absolutely. never actually heard your perspective on that. Um, we actually met even before that because you were around uh, the at the prayer house and on oh, campus. Yeah. You were there the night that I like uh, the night that I consider kind of my ordination, uh, like my from God. You know, before I was ever ordained by a church, it was. Uh, that night at the prayer house it was like we had the same consistent group that would show up every week and then like only like two of them showed up and then all these random people from around columbus showed up and you were there yeah and uh that was the night like all you guys gathered around me and prayed for me and and basically like 
ordained me into what I was called to do at Ohio State and stuff. And so I remember that. And then I don't remember when we, we met at Bob Evans with, it was Brian, you and I. I was mm-hmm. that before the basement or after the basement? That may have been before. I'm glad you brought that up. I actually forgot about that. That night was crazy. And just especially thinking back to the people who were in that room and, you know, what those people are doing now. Um, you know, Brian, obviously, you, me, Jasmine Tate was in the room that night. Mm-hmm. And that was still just very early in my introduction to the prayer culture, the worship culture, just outside of a Sunday morning, people going after Jesus, you know what I mean, in such an organic way. And uh, yeah, so I think we got Bob, we went to Bob Evans shortly after that, probably before the basement. Yeah. And I don't I, think I we remember. talked a lot to each other one-on-one that night. No, no. And, uh, and then even, even Bob Evans, it was, it was just kind of like, because it was three of us, it wasn't like a huge connection point. But yeah. I remember just kind of, I think that night at, or the, at Bob Evans, I really took notice of you, like where I didn't necessarily at because the other night was just about we're just gonna go after god and see what happens and then everything got turned on me and Mm -hmm. i was i was done after that um (laughs) but yeah i remember bob evans just really thinking like man this guy there's something special um and just thinking like you know i'm in a in a weird way we've it was you and brian and like carl madison like there's a few of us that were like all running together separately like we yeah. were all around the same age, all going after it in Columbus, uh, all in similar ministry situations where we were like mm-hmm. running stuff under like a senior pastor. And um, but we were hungry for more than what we were doing and like hungry to see God do more than just what we we're seeing in the church. So it's been yeah. pretty cool. That's good. Like language. History. Yeah. And then since then, I don't I don't know when we like really started connecting, um, but we started being much more involved uh, with stuff with each other and to the point like you know you had me on um, we I spoke at one of the conferences and um, mm-hmm. you know we did the the round table on race uh, which was mm-hmm. a lot of fun and uh, and then I got to speak at the school <laughs> you know yep. when you were when you were doing the school I got to be a professor for or whatever you would call it instructor <laughs> um, yeah it's been good professor Ryan yeah it's been really good. I mean, the years that, that I look back on that we, you know, were able to really run together were probably the most formative years. I mean, mm-hmm. as so much of what I believe today, so much of my paradigm and what I now feel is a life calling to impart into others were being formed in, in those years. And obviously when you're in it, you don't realize often how significant, you know, um, that time is until you you are able to see the impact that it has on you, um, you know later on. But I'm just so grateful for just that that window. And then you talk about you know the connection that we we made with Caleb together and going down mm-hmm. to West Virginia and getting to be a part of that revival that uh, was breaking out amongst their high school students and learning what's what's good and bad about some of those you know. Yeah massive moves of God and just so many lessons and and just so many yeah just just truly life-changing um encounters throughout those years yeah well and I kind of want to set this up too even before we get into more because I I definitely 
Um, I want to get into some of what you're doing now and some of those things. Um, but I, I and I, I do feel like some of that was formed. Like there were conversations we had just over the years that we've had where I would just like I would bring stuff to you that was totally I mean, now it's people are talking about it a lot more with some of the apostolic and, and some of the different ways of doing church and a, a different wineskin and all this stuff. And, um, and you come from, you're very educated. Um, you've, you come from a, a strong theological background. Um, you've had lots of years in ministry, but you were still able to like hear, hear me on that. And always like with such, such humility, such honor. And, and even, um, uh, you just you always have had a, like a hunger just to to know what God's in and and be willing to be a part of it even if it doesn't look like what you're used to, um, and so like that to me did so much for me because I you know I feel like I'm crazy <laughs> and to have a, somebody who's a peer be like yeah like you know keep going after that and stuff was always really helpful, um, and so I was praying about this and like I always ask God the same question for every guest and I'm just. You know, God, what is it in them that you want to be on display? And uh, and for you, I just felt like the Lord said humility, like his humility. Mm-hmm. And I think we've already seen that just in this short little time already. Um, you've you've just already exude you exude humility. Um, and so as we go on, I think people will see that more and more. Um, did you have something I saw you like? No, I just. Uh... Uh, <laughs> it was just a moment for myself honestly I'm, I'm having a little bit of a deja vu moment because i i had this moment in a dream hmm. about two years ago that was before you started your podcast oh, yeah wow so that's it you can cut that out but <laughs> i ain't edited nothing <laughs> Yeah, man. Like, anyways, I say all to say, I'm extremely thankful for you. Um, and I do like what you said about being formative, the things that you're doing and the things that I'm doing now came out of those conversations and like you being an ear for me to, to verbally process and then you throwing stuff out there or actually a lot of times bringing in scripture that like helped me or, you know, that, that ran parallel to what I was saying that would actually help me like, oh my gosh. And I would see the bigger revelation and, um, so we were always a good team in that. And I, I've always yeah. really appreciated that about you. So I wanted to share that. Thank you. Um, so you shared a little bit of, of your story uh, and your how you came to Jesus. Um, you know, what one of the questions uh, that came in from our listeners was uh, what what made Jesus real to you um, and, and made you give your full yes? And, and I know you already shared, you know, you were talking to a friend. You'd never heard anybody share Jesus like that. Um, so you can, you can talk about that moment if you want, or if there's another moment where Jesus became so real to you that you're like, this is it. Like I'm, I'm all in whatever you want to do. Yeah, no, I can kind of pick back up on where I left off with that story. You know, the curiosity was definitely sparked by hearing my friend's testimony and seeing how his life was transformed. But there was still the question of whether or not it was for me and, and whether or not just that spark in his eye, that passion, that that just that that sound of being completely convinced that Jesus Christ is worth giving your entire life to, no matter what. I didn't know if that was for me, and 
until encountering someone who had that spark in their eye and who had that confidence and conviction in their voice, I didn't even know that that was unsettled, you know, in my in my heart. I would have told you I was a Christian. I would have told you, you know, I was following Jesus, was on my way to heaven until I met someone who was actually following Jesus. And so that curiosity led to just wanting to be around him and wanting to ask questions because he was crazier than I was. And and Sheldon Harris, if you end up listening to this, you know, you can you can get on the podcast and tell your own version of this story. But, <laughs> um, you know, this dude was wild in high school, a couple years older than me. And it, it was one of those situations where prior to encountering him, you know, at the gym that day, if anyone would have asked me, you know, who who was living, you know, more morally or, or, or who was living more righteously, I would have said I was all day long. And and so to see someone who, you know, I had that that particular perspective on um, at the time just embodies such a zeal and such a a passionate pursuit of the Lord was incredibly convicting. And I had to figure out what happened to him. Like I had to figure out what changed him. So ended up going to his house. He was having a, a baby shower for what would be his second his second son. And I remember just asking him question after question after question, trying to figure out what happened to him and 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 you know just what made him change. And eventually I had to just kind of let him be with his family. I mean, it was his his baby shower for crying out loud. Him and his, him and his wife. And so I ended up leaving at the end, and we lived only about 20 minutes apart from one another. And I remember like it was yesterday, I, I got all the way home. I was living at my parents' house at the time, and I thought to myself, I have more questions. So I got back in the car, drove back to his house uninvited, unannounced, didn't even tell him I was on my way, just knocked on the door, and I said, man, I, I got to ask you some more questions. His wife's like eight and a half months pregnant, and... <laughs> You know, thank God she she let me come in and talk to him. And this it's time, like a, as I was, go it's ahead. like a reverse Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about it that way, but yes, yes. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he lets me in, and I start up with the questions again. But this time, the questions were different. They weren't just about his story and his transformation. I began to question God. And I began to ask God, if you're really real, why did this happen in my life? Why did my dad have a stroke? Why did, you know, the church split? If you're real, why are there people who die of diseases and, you know, tsunamis that take out entire villages? If you're real, you know, why are, are you know, um, just just people so so hateful and all these things? And what it really began to expose was this this doubt and this unbelief and this frustration towards God that I didn't even know I had and the pride even, you know, that that was in my heart. And to answer the question specifically, what made Jesus real to me is that there wasn't a single time in that line of questioning that I ever felt like Jesus was offended at my questions. But every question just drew me closer to him. And this goes on till about 3.30 in the morning. And I, to this day, believe that God just, you know, showed mercy on Sheldon because if what happened next didn't happen, I'd still probably be sitting on Sheldon's couch asking questions. <laughs> but around 3.30 in the morning, you know, 
as I'm asking these questions and Shelton's, you know, sitting there flipping through the Bible, doing his best to answer my questions, but it was less about the answers and it was more about the spirit of God drawing me in. But about 3.30 in the morning, the Lord just encountered me right there on the couch. I mean, his presence, his, his love, his nearness, it just was so powerful that nothing else mattered in that moment but me and God. And I just start crying on the couch, having this moment, the question stopped, and I just was confronted with the realness of the Lord. And I'm sitting there crying, completely overwhelmed. And I remember looking over at Sheldon once I finally could just, you know, find words. And the first thing out of my mouth was, I got to quit my job tomorrow. That was the very first thing out of my mouth. And Sheldon's like, whoa, 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 don't quit your job. Like, wait a minute, just come to church with me. And I'm like, nope, I got to quit my job. And I remember like all of the music I was listening to, which back then it was like T-Pain and Eminem and, you know, Jay-Z and all these CDs and my, my bowl from, you know, all the marijuana I was smoking. We just put it in a bag. And, you know, I just said, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to live for God. And I literally said this for 30 days. And if he doesn't prove that he's real, then I can always go back to doing what I was doing before. But if he is real and if what I feel like I've encountered tonight is legit, changes everything. And so that was my commitment. And then here's what really sealed it, if that wasn't enough. It was the drive home. And 20 minute drive home from Sheldon's house to my parents' house, I had another encounter. And this time it was with the devil, a fear, and a darkness filled my car on the way home that night. And I began to have these suicidal urges, not just thoughts and desires, but I had to stop myself from driving into oncoming traffic. I mean, it was the most intense thing. And I was not an easily afraid person. I had never had a suicidal thought in my life. I had never had a, 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 a you know, a, depress a depressive thought in my life up to that point at all. And I remember saying it out loud in the car. I had a really analytical mind, and I still do, just not as much. The Lord showed me how to temper that and, and use it for him. But back then I was so analytical. And I remember even in the midst of that, that dark encounter, it clicked like as many times as I've driven drunk and as many times as I've driven high, I've never been, been afraid. Why the one night that I have had this encounter with God and I start to move toward that, I want to take my life. And I said, devil, you just proved that all this is real. And I said out loud, you should have left me the hell alone. Wow. Because now I know that God is real. And so <laughs> that was uh, 12 years ago. Yeah. Now I have to bleep that. Because uh, <laughs> he's... I'm just kidding. No, that's awesome. I want to. I want to. I want to draw this out real quick. We've talked about suicide before on the podcast. I'm uh, uh, a. I, I'm very aggressive with with suicide, especially since I've dealt with uh, some of that for a period of time. And uh, I know Gen Z. Um, it's a. It's really going after Gen Z. That that just demonic spirit of suicide. So I just want to draw this out. If you're if you're listening to that. Um, you know, and some people say like, "Oh, it's natural," or it's a chemical imbalance. It's all these things. Like, there could be natural things that open you up more to that spirit, like lack of sleep, unhealthy habits, you know, whatever. But it's a demon. It is a demon that makes you feel like you have no other option but to take your life. 
and uh, you can be free of that. Holy Spirit Amen. is, he overcomes every other demonic spirit. Um, so I just want to share that so that there's going to be somebody listening to this that, that is dealing with that, dealing with that whisper. Um, and it's it actually is a reverse confirmation, similar to how Gerald said, devil, you just made it made it real. Like you just proved to me how real this is and how this is the right way to go. In the same way, the enemy coming at you that hard, trying to get you to take your life, tells you your life's valuable, tells mm. you you have a purpose. So I just wanted to draw that out real quick. It's so good. Yeah, I think that's fascinating, man. Thanks for sharing your story. Um, uh, I think one of the beautiful things that I'm like coming back to and drawn to is you literally knocked on heaven's door with all of your questions. Yeah. And he responded. <laughs> yeah. You know, all of the all of the angry questions, you know, like a, like a kid just kind of storming the, the gates and being angry at everything, but not knowing how to express it and just putting it all out there and trying to make sense of it all. And the father just opened up wide and man, just love you're 100 right you know because in that moment what i heard him say and i didn't share this part but like what what stuck with me more than anything is his response to the questions was this he said stop doing everything you're doing that's distracting you from hearing me or don't mm, wow. if you want to know me come come and find out who i am and and i realized that what i was really crying out for was was an encounter with with the lord that that would not just make sense out of all of my questions, but that would prove he was real mm. in the midst of all the questions. Yeah. And what I thought I needed was answers to my questions, and I really just needed an encounter with the Lord himself in spite mm. of the questions. Come on. And to your point, like he, that's exactly what he gave me. That's exactly what he provided, and uh, it's marked my life forever. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I, I think that's, the thing that like I'm drawn to in that even hearing in that part is just I think that historically um, at least even the way that I was raised in in the church and everything you know going to church week to week and all that it's like it wasn't okay to ask all those questions mm. but you're like living proof that you can ask all the questions you want and he'll still wait there and respond in love yeah doesn't yeah. have to answer everything you know 100 percent. i mean i feel like questions doubt unbelief truly can be the greatest seeds for genuine encounter mm-hmm. and and when people aren't given a space you know to explore that one it proves that we think a lot less of god than yeah. than we say we do yes come on because if, if the God of the universe can't handle a little questioning, then is he really a God worth serving? You know, right. is he really a God worth putting our trust in and truly believing he has our eternal life in his hands? And um, that that really shaped so much of, you know, just the, the, the paradigm through which, um, yeah, my wife and I disciple people. I think to your point over the years, the church has just done a terrible job of creating a space for people to, to ask questions. I wasn't going to say it, but I'm glad you are. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's just the truth, you know. And yeah. then the questions don't go away just because you don't let the people ask them in church. They're going to go 
and and ask them to whoever will will actually listen to them and whoever will you know just value them enough to hear them and um yeah yeah i think that's so much of what millennials gen z you know whatever generation you want to uh identify is is desiring so good when you, and you started uh years ago when you're still young adult pastor you started doing like that's where you started some of the discussions and stuff and like you know, actually addressing things and not being afraid of, of some of the questions and just having even differing viewpoints um, and things to be shared, which is really cool because that was a little bit, I think I've seen a lot more churches do that sort of thing now, but especially at that point, that was a little uh, out of the box because yeah. we kind of just kind of, we would preach what we preached and it's like, don't really question it. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you're, you're so right. I, I've been on, uh, been messing around with TikTok a little bit and just, you know, seeing what the cry of culture can tell us. Mm. And um, I, I've shared this with a few people, but like I got on because TikTok has a live section. And mm-hmm. so TikTok is like, you know, it's Gen Z. Uh, they're not on Instagram the way that millennials are on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can watch live videos. So I got on there and the first the majority were this way, but the first six, the first six live videos I came across, two of them were debates on abortion, and four of them were mediums, psychics, seances, oh, wow. and witchcraft. And uh, one was a, a guy who called himself a prophet and a Christian who was doing tar- uh, tarot card reading, and um, like for Cash App, and wow. and scrolling through, the majority are abortion debates specifically and witchcraft i think that tells us so much about where things are headed and how different millennials are even from from gen z and like they're not like millennials it was easier to be atheists i Mm -hmm. I think gen z is just so open and hungry for the supernatural but the the abortion thing really threw me off like they're Mm -hmm. literally getting on there and they will post i'm pro-life debate me or i'm pro-choice you know and then they they invite people into their live and sit there and debate and and that's stuff that i think most most millennials most pastors you know have no clue that's even happening right now i didn't know (laughs) yeah yeah it's pretty incredible i i kind of wonder what are your guys' thoughts on that why do you think why do you think that abortion specifically is is the debate like why is that the one that more than anything. Well, not to be too forthright, but kids want to have sex, man. Yeah. Sure. Well, David Wade brought this up in my last interview. I had David Wade on, and he, he brought up a, uh, a recent uh, study that basically shows that they are the most open sexually of any generation, at least in American history, but um, in, in a long time, but the least likely to have sex. Oh, they're, really? they're actually they're more they will have less sexual partners for the for the most part they're more picky with who they'll have sex with but they're more open sexually than which is very odd i like all odd. of it i'm trying to like figure out with holy spirit like what is this saying like what is the point of all this wow. Wow. well i think to go back to the uh first question you asked about why that debate it's one of the few things you cannot be indifferent about mm. And which I honestly think the church should be encouraged by, 
in the sense that the the conviction and the passion and I genuinely mean this that you find on both sides of that conversation I think is a good sign that let me say it this way or qualify it this way that the idea of relativism is not nearly um is not is not is not nearly as pervasive and has not become the the you know truest the truest uh belief system of of our society the way that we've been told because if if relativism would have would have played out the way that we were told it was going to then what we would be seeing is a lot more indifference when it comes to even things like abortion we would see a lot more passivity a lot more apathy and people just saying hey well you believe what you believe and i believe what i believe but the fact that that there's such passion and such, you know, conviction literally on both sides tells us that the lie of relativism didn't take hold the way that we thought it was going to. People still believe in truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting, too, because uh, it in that topic specifically, it's not necessarily a Christian versus non-Christian topic. Like it's, there's a lot of people there's even. I was even seeing, um, you know, like people who are like, I'm LGBT, I'm a feminist, I'm whatever, but I'm against abortion, mm. you know, and, and things like that. And it's like, it's actually like more of a, uh, a, a morality debate than it is necessarily a Christian issue. Right. Um, so there's a lot more people that are, I think, I think I was like pleasantly surprised by how many were actually pro, uh, pro-life versus pro-choice in that, in that debate. But you know, and, and it's still like very emotionally driven and it's more like, well, this is how I feel about it. Like next to none of it actually had to do with science or like actual stats or, you know, anything sure. like that, like real facts. Um, but it, it is very encouraging uh, that that's there and that they like Gen Z, like I think it's been easier. Millennials wanted justice issues to stand up for, um, but we also wanted to be liked. Like we've mm-hmm. always, we haven't wanted to rock the boat too much to where people don't like us. And Gen Z just doesn't seem to care. Like, yeah, they're, they're flying flip. <laughs> yeah. They're like, they're doing, they're doing debates with like 2000 people watching them and, and having people attack them and they're totally fine with it. And that kind of, wow. that blows my mind. Cause I, I just know my generation wasn't like that. Right. I, uh, that's a good, that's a good observation. Yeah. I heard Terry Parkman, I think I told you this, Brian, but Terry Parkman from River Valley, um, he had mentioned that the difference with Gen Z is that they're using social media as an outlet to process um, what it is that they're thinking about rather than just forming opinions and then sticking with them. They're actually using it. They're not like they're not putting all that content out there to be like, this is what I believe forever. This is like, hey. This is what I believe right now. I'm processing through this. They won't say that, but that's where they're at. Hmm. Um, which I thought was a pretty interesting point and got me thinking about like, well, how does that go back to, you know, receiving all the questions, like, you know, going full circle to the questions of unbelief, questions of doubt, questions of, you know, morality and things like that. How do we receive that as the church? Um, yeah. And, it, and I, I wonder, because Gen Z is also the most under-churched generation in, in generations, um, at 
least in America. And yet they have so many questions and there hasn't been a place for the, in the church for them to ask these questions, just, you know, bring that kind of full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, I want to get into something. We don't have to dive into everything you're doing right this second, because I'd like to kind of hit some of your other history before we do. But currently just with this topic, are you, have you been um, seeing discussions and stuff like as a part of what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, we, we've been really committed to maintaining a living room, kitchen table, I would even say, you know, um, center or, or um, focus, I don't know the best language, to planning the church. And, and so that shows up as far as, you know, just our, our model right now where we have a worship service twice a month and then we have home church twice a month. And then going back to what birthed the church, which was just prayer meetings and, and you know, presence nights um, in our home on Tuesdays every other week, we still do that to this to this day. And that's the place where we've just seen so much, so much fruit and people, you know, just taking off, you know, the proverbial mask. You have to I have to make that distinction now because of COVID. Anytime I say that, people automatically think about a COVID mask. But I'm talking about, <laughs> yeah, the invisible masks that we were Take wearing before COVID. Yeah, <laughs> right. But you know, taking those off and and know that it's okay to to you know come from behind them and be themselves, ask the questions that they've not felt free to ask, and so. That I, I want to always be at the center of what we do. I want to say this just because it might not make sense to say it as we go further, but I've been convinced of something over the last few years, that there's a minimum of eight questions that every human being wants to know the answer to, and that's that's the question of authority, origin, uh, truth, um, morality, sin, where did it come from, what's the solution for it, the dignity and value of man. Uh, what's our purpose on this life? And then where are we going after this life? And those are the eight questions that, that every human being, no matter what context they come from, want to know the answers to. And I think when we think about questions, questions in and of, it, of itself, it's, it's, a, it's a language, it's a second language. And if the church is not being equipped on how to enter into the dialogue and get really good at both asking questions as well as responding to questions, not even just for the sake of being right, but just just for the journey, then, then we're going to miss a lot of opportunities um, as it relates to evangelism and as it relates to, you know, seeing the gospel actually encounter um, the world around us. And I just hold true to that. And that's something I would even acknowledge, you know, my experience in, in seminary that you alluded to, you know, people ask me all the time, like, kind of, what did you get out of seminary? And for me, it was, I got really, really good at asking questions and not being afraid of wherever it, it led me. And and so I think that's going to be so important, especially considering Gen Z. Um, so important. And so. Yeah. Man, I want you to just unpack that all by itself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I just wrote that down. I'm going to go back and like ponder that, honestly. Um, that's brilliant. Yeah, it really is. Can you, can you say the eight things again? Yeah, and I might not have said them um, all in the right order, so let me try to say them again. But um, origin, authority, uh, 
truth and morality, sin or evil, where did it come from, the solution for sin and evil, uh, the dignity and value of man, um, our purpose on this life or in this life, and then eternity, where do we go after this? Um, those are the minimum eight questions. Of course there's more, but there's definitely no, no less than those eight questions that every, every human being uh, wants to know the answer to. And every religion and or philosophy claims to, to be answering, even if the answer is you know, nihilism or whatever, that, that, there, that there isn't anything on the other side or there, there isn't a meaning or purpose for life. But regardless, every religion or philosophy, if it's worth any salt, should be giving some type of response to those eight questions. And, and I'm convinced without a doubt, obviously, because I've given my life to, to, to Jesus, that it's really only the gospel, it's only uh, the Bible that answers those eight questions with both certainty, where there's correlation between the answer to question one and the subsequent uh, questions, um, without contradiction, and within a way that is absolutely tangible for how you can then, you know, walk out your life. And, and so anytime I have the privilege to sit down with, you know, someone from uh, a different uh, religion, I find a way to bring, if not all eight of those questions up, even just a few of them. And it's incredible to, to just listen to the response when you say, well, what does your faith, what does your religion, what does your philosophical understanding of, of the world and, and your life have to say to these questions? And more times than not, they don't even really know what their own faith, religion, or philosophy has to say definitively to those, to those questions. And if, if, if they do, it's really easy to kind of point out either the the absence of certainty or the lack of correlation or the presence of contradiction. And then it's even more telling when you say, well, kind of how is that playing out and how you live right now? Like, how is that actually, you know, dictating how you make the tr- make choices on a Tuesday? And if if there's not that, you know, alignment, then mm. what value does it really have in your life? that's so beautifully put man (laughs) i'm like yeah just total mic drop moment man wow all right is that original to you or is that something like could you make that into a book or can you just unpack (laughs) like where that came from (laughs) well actually it was um it was a couple of things that inspired that. I was in seminary at the time, and I realized that, you know, one of the things that I think we have just inherited across the board within Western Christianity, and I, I, I use that language specifically comparing Western Christianity to Eastern Orthodox Christianity, where Eastern, Eastern, Eastern Orthodox Christianity has maintained an appreciation for the mystery, an appreciation for you know, just just the the bigness of God, if I can say it in those terms, where so much of Western Christianity across its denominational distinctions is all driven by, um, you know, certainty. 
and you know being able to prove things and as I kind of was kind of exploring that I I found myself wanting to know you know well how 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 does you know my my faith how does my my Christian belief um, actually bring true certainty to me when it comes to these questions and at the time the only person who I heard kind of like I guess approaching things that way was was Ravi Zacharias and as I listened to a few of his of his teachings he he really kind of laid that foundation of you know here's here's how you're able to uh, kind of filter the the um, yeah the validity of of just just thought processes or um, yeah answers and and certainty as it relates to truth and so it was kind of the combination of those those two experiences what I was experiencing in, in seminary and then kind of getting a blueprint for how do you actually test truth that I that I heard from Ravi Zacharias and then I just began to ask myself what are the minimum questions that I feel like I want to know the answer to and that's kind of where that that came from yeah that needs to be a book yeah, that help phrase, man. <laughs> I, help you. I can, actually. We should talk about <laughs> that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's so good, man. I I like that phrase, that, or that sentence, that Eastern, what did you say, that Eastern uh, Orthodox? Eastern Orthodox Christianity has a much greater appreciation for the mystery. For the mystery, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. because of how how much we have to have answers right in western christianity it's like if you you know if if our questions aren't answered you know a lot of times it creates a bitterness um i've said it on this podcast quite a few times but most believers are one tragedy or or real hardship away from falling away from the faith completely they they lose a loved one something happens and they're just done because they right they don't know the answer um and right, and to your point, I was going to say, to your point, like, that's why the whole idea of what are the minimum eight questions that I I want to know, but that I can then from there be a lot more comfortable with the unknown. You know, if, if I can if I can just find some, some, some rootedness in these eight questions, the things that really matter, then there's a lot that I'm going to be able to, to let go if I don't, you know, find certainty or don't get, don't get, um, yeah, just, just answers that, uh, I'm looking for. And so that's kind of what, what birthed that. You know, and, and what's beautiful about that is like, you know, you're, you are analytical and you are, um, like you're well studied you've been to seminary and to still be able to embrace embrace the mystery embrace the unknown is beautiful and i I like i've had this conversation because uh you know you just always meet people who have lots of questions and you know my my thing i always come back to is there's actually there actually is comfort in mystery because if if I fully understood everything that he does then he his ways fully fit into my human mind and then how how much of god is he if right. i can fit him in and fully understand him 
then am I not equal, you know, at mm. that point? And so if there's, if there isn't mystery, if there isn't anything that goes beyond my understanding, um, then he's not really God and there's no difference. And so the fact that there is mystery has been such a, even in those times where I'm like, I don't understand, you know, but understanding like, okay, God, you are love and you are judge and you are king and you are father, you are shepherd, you're all these things at once. And there's something in this that doesn't make sense to me. I wouldn't have done it this way, but you see something bigger than I, I do. And in embracing that mystery, then you see it play out later. And, and you, it may take a while, but you begin to see like, oh, I see how that formed me or I see, I see what came of that, uh, which is really beautiful. That's so good. And I love how you said it. You know, the way I, I've said it in the past is a God that I can completely understand is a God that does not deserve my worship. And a God that I can completely understand is most likely a God that I made up, a.k.a. an idol. You know, <laughs> and so it's like there's something about there's something about knowing that I'm never going to fully understand God that actually provokes reverence and provokes worship that I, I, I wish more people were able to you know, just internalize. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of the things like even just being married, it's like, I know I'll never fully understand my wife, (laughs) but something (laughs) about that provokes me. (laughs) You know, I know that I love her and I know that I enjoy, I do enjoy being with her, uh, but I'm never going to fully understand her. And that's okay. (laughs) That is good. That is, that is spoken. That is (laughs) well-spoken. good um this might be a good place for this question uh so you're you're doing a lot you know this is a little bit of a transition but you're doing a lot Mm -hmm. like you're you're pastoring we'll we'll get into some of that in a second um how do you balance how do you balance being married and having kids and still studying the word and being a pastor and discipling people and and all that and answering people's questions and all the things you do how do you balance it all one day at a time is, is, you know, a true answer that that I, you know, how I would say I have to keep deciding to live out every day. And um, so much of that, I think, is, is found in being present. I don't think a lot about yesterday and I don't think a lot about tomorrow, if I'm honest. You know, I tell people this and. I hold I hold to this. I don't know how other people would feel about it, but you know, right now, you know, Ryan Rhodes and Vince Conagarage I don't know how to say your last name. I'm sorry. <laughs> but but you two are the most important people in the world because you're the two people that I'm in front of. You know, and and I truly try to live my life that way and um I don't always get get that right, but I truly try to live my life that way. And I, I think even considering the fact that I'm married with kids, I still feel I still feel that way because when I'm you know at a coffee shop, let's say with with a friend or someone you know from the church or whatever, I can't in that moment d- determine what's happening to you know my six year old son in his first grade class or what's going on with my wife you know twenty miles from me as she's working at her spa and salon. The, the the people that I can truly impact and love are sitting right in front of me at the coffee shop. God is in control of of everyone else that, that he's in control of everybody, but it's 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 his job to 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 care for whoever I'm not 
presently in front of. Um, and then whoever I am in front of, I get to partner with him as he's, you know, continuing to love them and, and I get to, to be a part of that. So that's something that I feel has uh, impacted just my ability to balance things. Um, but I think outside of that, just having an amazing wife that I'm completely, you know, in love with and that has said yes to championing me and I've said yes to championing her. And, you know, when we got married, I'll never forget this. She had a little bit of exposure to, you know, Christianity growing up Catholic. And, and then after confirmation, she didn't really um, have much, much um, exposure to church. And then when we when we got married, it was right after that encounter that I talked about from my testimony. And, you know, we had to really lay some things some things out. And I'll never forget telling her before we got married that you need to understand that, that you're marrying someone who will do whatever God tells him to do, speaking of myself in, in third person. And um, if you're not OK with that, then we, we, we really shouldn't get married. And she believed me. And so that is just given permission from day one to just live from a place of pursuit of, of destiny and not just living from a place of just, you know, maintaining uh, a comfortable life. And that's never been it's never been something that I've had to battle for in my marriage. And in fact, you know, when I transitioned from the corporate world working at Chase uh, Bank to going into full time ministry, I was the one that was against it, thinking, you know, my wife will never be okay with this. I'm walking away from six figures to literally, you know, $9 an hour. My wife will never be for this. And she's the one that looked at me in the, looked me in the eyes and said, this is the Lord. You need to obey him. We had just bought a house. Mm -hmm. We had a daughter and a second on the way. And she stood there just as, as confident as ever. This is the Lord. You need to obey him. And so I give her so much of the, um, yeah, just the credit for the freedom that has allowed me to be really um, just un unhindered to, to live for the Lord. And so I think those are the biggest two things, just living in the present and then having the support of an amazing, an amazing wife. Yeah, man, Lauren, it, it, it's, it's essential for, it just speaks to the importance of marriage and it like being the right person because we don't need to cover it on this podcast, but I'll, I'll point people to uh, Nick's podcast, Nick Hawthorne's podcast, Desire of the Nations, because um, you were on there and you shared your story about going to Africa. And I, I mean, it was super sketch, the whole thing. Everyone should go yeah. listen to it on, on their podcast. Um, you, you know, you weren't going with anyone. You went by yourself to meet a pastor you had never met before, never really heard of before that point. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and she backed you in it, you know, yeah. and and that's just like that's that's what's incredible is when you have somebody who who can recognize, you know, God's on this go. Yeah. Um, no substitute for that. Prophet too, yes, so she is. That, that <laughs> or or prophetess, does. depending on uh, what denomination you're part of. <laughs> no, that makes a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, for me, I'd love to just kind of dive in i don't know if we're gonna hang out on this topic but i want to dive into what you're doing right now um you know with the church uh just for my sake uh you know the only context i have is from a walk on the oregon coast 
with Avery, <laughs> who had mentioned the beginnings of what was going on. Yeah. And at that point, I was already sold mm. on everything going on. I felt Holy Spirit all over it and um, pretty excited um, just to kind of transition and, and hear like what's been going on, how did it start? Um, and yeah, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, so I mean, honestly, I, I think the origins of what we're doing through Garden City go back to the testimony of being on my friend's couch. It goes back to being in the basement of the beginning days of fire. It goes back to, you know, the house of prayer on Ohio State's campus and just so many other examples of encountering God separate from institutional organized religion Hmm. and just being able to acknowledge that God is just as real, if not more real, outside of the boxes we've we've put him in. And there's a hunger for that that cannot be easily ignored the way that, that what we offer through religion can be easily ignored. And so I think so much of my early years in ministry were, were the product of living in the tension of knowing there's more, knowing that there is a expression in, in both the word and a desire, dream, I would even say in the Father's heart, that a lot of the models that we have become dependent upon stifle, if not completely kill. And mm, wow. in that tension, I had to make up my mind, was I going to was I going to be okay with that? Or was I going to contend for reformation? Or was I going to pioneer something that I had never seen but knew was real? And the fact that I along the way was able to, to hear that same cry and see that same you know, fearless, fearless willingness in the heart and eyes of, of you know, my brother Ryan and, and, and others just began to really forge the confidence to, to, to go for it whenever the opportunity came, you know, came up. So I can honestly say, as long-winded as that was, that, that that's that's the origins of what we're doing now. The name Garden City, the, the building that we're in, I could really care less about. It's it's nothing more than a vehicle to continue what I experienced on the couch 12 years ago, what I saw in the basement of fire and what, you know, was was proven time and time again in spontaneous moments like the Ohio State uh, House of Prayer and others. So from a, a practical perspective, um, you know, we, my wife and I were uh, serving. Before, before you get into oh, yeah, all yeah. that, uh, uh, that's incredible. Everything you just said is mm. incredible because I think you just gave, you just, you just laid out the heart of of the new wine skin. Yes, and and I think, um, I was just having a conversation with Peter Dewitt, uh, who I, I believe you know as well. Yeah. there in Columbus and. Um, 
dude's an apostle. He's doing some awesome things and uh, similar, similar, but different than what you're doing. Yeah. And like you guys are two apostles, like running with um, the way, the way that I explained it, talking to him is I feel like we're in this time where we're in between two eras and mm. between two wineskins. And we have to like figure out how do we honor what God has done and is still operating somewhat in while also trudging ahead and going into the new thing, not cursing the old thing. Cause there's still people who are going to be finding life in that. Um, and God is still working and they're not ready for the new thing, but also going after the, like the new thing that God's doing. And, um, there's people like you and, and people like, like Peter and others that are, are starting to emerge that are catching that. But I, th- I feel like the way you just gave that heart, uh, the way you laid that out is the heart of the new thing. And I think that that heart, um, they may not all say it the same way that you did, but that burn, like when you speak about that, that's what burns inside of me, you know, and that's, that's a cry of my heart is to go into this new thing. And I, I think anybody else, I think a lot of our listeners, we have a lot of church leadership that listens in or people that have a heart for the new thing that feel, they feel the discontent of the current wineskin and they feel mm-hmm. They feel what the current wineskin lacks, uh, and they're trying to figure out how to how to position their heart in a good way and not, you know, not curse it. Um, and so, anyways, I I just want to wanted to pause there for a moment and just like because that is beautiful the way you just said that. Um, so we want to hear what are you actually so out of out of that heart? Or did you want to say something there before I ask this question? Well, no, I was just I was going to acknowledge. You know what you just shared is so key because we cannot curse what what God has has still clearly chosen. You know to to use for however long He chooses to, and and I think the real the the real invitation is the willingness to birth while stewarding, right? And so you're you're birthing the new thing while still acknowledging the responsibility to steward what came before. And when, when that when that happens, purity can can be maintained, and honor can be maintained. And so, um, I feel like you've modeled that really well. And I know so many of our conversations were rooted in how do we how do we do that? And um, it's just really cool to see, to your point, that that it's something that's that's catching. It's something that's truly catching on. And, a lot of different contexts. Yeah. Did you have any final thoughts, Vince? No, I'm just so glad that you brought that up and you pointed that out. Um, yeah, I'm just so glad that that was, I feel like that's a really powerful point that um, it, it's almost like an acknowledgement of some of the frustrations even some of the listeners are having today. Because that's that's what happens, right? Is that there are people out there that uh, they feel um, what's coming or the impetus of what's coming. And they look at the situations that's happening or they look at the current state of things or lo- they look at that old wine scan, longing for that new wine scan, not knowing how to get there, not how- knowing how to bridge the gap. And I think it's important to um, pause and say, hey, we honor that old wine skin. God is doing a new thing. There is still some fruit left in that. That's fine. But if you're burning for something that's next, it's not 
it's not and it's not like yet present in your life uh it's either out there you're supposed to create it or you're supposed to wait on him for it it's hmm. good yeah i don't gerald i don't know if i've shared this with you um the listeners have heard this a couple times now but I, i'm holding on to it because i think it i really think it's god um robert slairdon he i asked him what he sees for the church from a historical and prophetic perspective what he sees coming and he said i see i see two manifestations of the church i see a living room feel like that kind of feel coming out where it'll be um it will feel whether it's literally in a living room or not it's going to be that kind of like we're in this it's a really intimate space kind of thing um and it, those kinds of churches will will grow they'll go house to house it'll be very acts similar to acts um and they said but i also see an emerging uh seeker sensitive model church without the seeker sensitive and he said he said mm-hmm. i see holy spirit filled churches that will adopt the territorial model of the seeker sensitive church where they take they take ownership of their community in a way that uh, typically charismatic Pentecostal churches do not typically mm-hmm. typically we we funnel people to our church and we like we just want people to come and, and hang out and worship and mm-hmm. and this other model like seeker sensitive they take over their community and they do backpack drives and they take care of the homeless and they do like all this stuff and he said it won't grow as quickly as the seeker sensitive he's like but we'll see these powerful 1500 to 2000 2500 person church uh, person churches that give full room for Holy Spirit to move, full manifestation, but they start looking outward and they start taking over wow. their city for the kingdom of God. And wow. those two things, like that, it was so confirming in my heart. So this was this was pre Maverick City. So then Maverick City came out, and it was that living room feel. It didn't feel like you're watching a concert. It felt like you're worshiping in a living room with friends. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is it. Like it's starting to happen. And then that, you know, um, mercy culture, uh, mm. Landon shot, you know, in Texas and Jasmine's down there and what they're doing, they're like 3000, 3,500, almost 4,000 yeah. now. Um, but they're doing it. They're taking over. They're doing stuff with sex trafficking and, and helping rehabilitate women. They're feeding like tons of people. Like the, the numbers are astronomical, the way that they're taking over their community and reaching out and starting businesses and buying homes and, like it's just incredible uh my church here is very similar where it's like you know we're we're about three thousand now we were 400 at the at the beginning of 2020 and uh just rapidly growing but it's like holy spirit's fully allowed to do whatever he wants to do like we're we're like we give it we give it to you take over and god's moving but we're you know going after the city and um but then i see what you guys are doing and i'm like this is that also this is what this is what Roberts was talking about and the power of that. And I think, I think that it's also setting up for like, you know, a future kind of end times model when, you know, you're not going to be able to have a 2000 person building, you know, church if, if everything is going that direction, you know? Um, And so you're going to have to meet house to house and you're going to have to have people with that kind of a heart and depth with the Lord that you only get in those, those kind of settings. Um, before I ask this last question, do you is there anything either of you guys have that you feel like goes along with that that you want to say? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll jump in. What you just described is 
the fleshing out of what I've been calling the Matthew 10, Matthew 25 paradigm. And I, I was actually with Eddie Jewell, who I know you know, mm-hmm. and we were looking at one of his properties on the, I think it was the, the east side of Columbus that he was wanting to uh, potentially turn into another Dream Center location. And I didn't know much about him. He he was doing so much ministry in the streets and leading people to Jesus, seeing people delivered, and but yet had this heart for true transformation from a practical perspective as well, and and seeing people you know restored and and you know get jobs and you know be financially stable. And I, I prayed over him, and that was the first time this ever came out of my mouth that that there, that, that he would be one to to really. Um, yeah, manifest this Matthew 10, Matthew 25 paradigm. And I remember when I said it, I didn't even know what it meant. It just made sense in my spirit as it came out. And then I went and I read it. And to, to make a long story short, you know, Matthew 10, 7 and 8, Jesus is commissioning the disciples to preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers. But then in Matthew 25, the third of the, the three parables Jesus is saying, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats based upon what? Those who fed the hungry, clothed the naked, and visited the sick and, and, and the prisoner. And it hit me like it's the same king who is giving both charges. But you could honestly put most denominations in either one or the other of, wow. of, of those passages. Not to mention most of the churches that are, are rocking with the Matthew 10 heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. They're not doing the feeding. They're not doing the visiting. You know, they're not doing the clothing. And then the opposite is true. The churches who are living that out have no power. And it's like if if I was the devil, which I don't practice pretending what I would do if I was the <laughs> devil, I would have done the same thing. I'll make sure all the powerful churches that still believe in the Holy Spirit and still believe in raising the dead just preach to themselves. And just have conference after conference after conference where the same people come and you lay hands on the same people that already believe. And then I'll make sure all the churches that don't believe in the power, they're the ones doing all the evangelism. They're the ones doing all the feeding. They're the ones doing all the clothing. They're the ones ministering all to all the lost because they're going to get their belly fed. They might even say the sinner's prayer, but they're not going to have an encounter. And so anyways, just to say like what you just unpacked and what you referred to with... Uh, Robert Leardon's, you know, word, I'm so convinced is a part of the new wineskin and has really shaped so much of of how we're modeling um, our ministry today. That's awesome. That's so good. See, this is what I talked about. I you, we would talk about stuff, and then you'd be like, "Yeah, that's this scripture." <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, I love it. I love how the Bible just like oozes out of you. Uh, <laughs> well, I want I want to hear now that we've like kind of teased this, we've talked about the heart of it. I want to get into the practical, like what are you guys actually doing? Uh, so that's the question you're going to answer. But at this point, we're going to end this this first part of this conversation. Uh, and when we come back, you can give the answer to that. Like, what are you guys actually doing? What does that look like? And how did you even arrive you know, because you're not there's not really a model um, for you to follow. Uh, and even the people who are doing something similar are all doing it different. Mm. And uh, it's interesting to me because that's that's like proof we're in the middle, like the middle of the two, mm-hmm. because 
the the old model everyone basically does the same thing at some point we arrived at that model and we've continued it until you know until something else comes and now we're in the middle and people are experimenting so i want to hear uh what are you guys practically doing and what does it look like for you guys to kind of experiment how do you arrive at the things that you're you're doing and how is that working uh so we'll cover that when we come back uh with gerald murphy and uh, so if this podcast has impacted you in any way, share it with your friends, share it with, on social media, go ahead and just text it to somebody who needs to hear this. This is going to speak to somebody's heart. Um, and also, if you're if you are interested in supporting what we're doing with fire or the podcast, you can go to firemovement.com support. You can give a one time or monthly gift there. Thank you, everyone who is supporting us and who has has continued to support. You've helped us grow this podcast. Uh, I just went over some recent analytics. It's abs- absolutely insane. I'm blown away by what God's doing. We're over 17, uh, over 17,000 listeners. We 35% of our listenership is a Gen Z, which is incredible and breaks all of the, the uh, traditional wisdom about podcasts um, that they're, they're listening in and, and people are being stirred. We just hit 36 nations and uh, it's pretty incredible. So thank you guys so much. You guys are making it possible both with your support, your prayers, by sharing this with your friends. Uh, so thank you. So until next time, this has been the Fire Podcast.